So Nina, it's been an interesting week. We have sent our oldest child to a foreign country with a whole bunch of teenagers. And some adults too. <laughs> and some adults. I was, I was leaving that part out on purpose. Yes, there were uh, adults supervising as well. The purpose of this trip is to be faithful to the call of God's kingdom, which is to expand his kingdom, to share his good news. And even though we've had experience living overseas, we have mixed emotions, right? About what's been happening in the last week or so. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it was really exciting to see her take this step of obedience to to the Lord and want to to go. But I also know that there's things that happen in other countries that can be a little bit on the dangerous side. That's not safe necessarily, but I also know who our God is and how when he calls us, he's also with us through any of those circumstances. Yeah, I completely agree. We serve a God who doesn't guarantee safety. And and that's something hard as parents, I think. When we're when we're thinking of what we want for our our children, we go, we want them to have great jobs, we want them to be healthy, and we want them to be safe. And the more I look at scripture and the more we live out life being followers of Jesus, the more I realize that those things aren't aren't guaranteed. I I agree. Hey friends, welcome to the Encourage Inspire Podcast. My name is Nathan. And I'm Nina. In this episode, we will be talking about what it means to surrender to a dangerous God. First, is God really dangerous? Second, is he calling us on a dangerous mission? Our passion is building faithful families, so thank you for walking alongside us as we share stories and talk about the lessons we are learning and as we process this dangerous calling from a dangerous God. So babe, I have been trying to grow as a human being. And one thing that I've been trying to stop saying every time our kids do something that's on the dangerous side, I'm trying to stop saying, be careful. Am am I improving on that? Or do you notice that? Because I felt like for a long time, that's just my my default statement when, when something crazy was happening. I definitely see some change in that area because you are just naturally a cautious guy. You you think through things cautiously. I've, I've really noticed like with our youngest child who is a son, you've wanted to change your posture with instead of saying, be careful all the time, you want him to you want him to take some risks mm. as long as it's done in a safe way or in a safe like not that he can't hurt himself or anything like that, but that it's not harmful to him. Yeah, and and I think we have a great opportunity as he's still so young and so impressionable that we can instill in him this idea that it's okay to do dangerous things, but how do we do those dangerous things correctly? So I'm I'm having to go through a mental shift of not saying stop doing dangerous things, but what's the right way to do dangerous things? I I think my nature has been to prioritize self-preservation. And so... um, that's why I say be careful, be careful, but that's not always the proper stance. Sometimes the proper stance is how do we do the right thing even when it's challenging, even when it's dangerous. And, you know, we have six kiddos. They're all incredible. They have different tendencies to lean into challenges or to back away from challenges. And I don't want their default position to always step back when something difficult or challenging or dangerous comes. I want them to be evaluating how do I do this thing the right way, because as we've already said, God calls us into things that are difficult 
and challenging and, and often dangerous. So I, I, I want to continue to grow in this regard. I know I have a lot of um, opportunity, but um, please keep me in check. And um, as we both get older, I think we're going <laughs> to perhaps be more cautious in some ways. But, you know, I, I want God to grow us and, and continue to move in our lives. I personally think it, it's great that you have made that change and uh, has have allowed our our kiddos to experience life maybe in a where they're not always thinking like I can't do that because of whatever reason, but that how can I do this and, and I mean, do it I, well. And I, well and do it well, but like I was gonna say like safely, but sometimes. It doesn't mean it also doesn't mean that they're always going to be safe. Minimize uh, the risk might be another way to describe that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see you change in that way and and what it means for our kids. It means they're going to be doing dangerous things, and we have to prepare ourselves. For that. <laughs> it, it might mean that uh, we're going to be doing a lot more prayer for our and, kids, and that's a good thing. And we're not talking just about you know crossing the street as a four year old. Uh, you know, really what we're talking about is as God leads them into their future, what steps of obedience are they going to start taking and where does that take them? Where does that lead them and what does it require them to do? And and we want to create that environment and that culture in our family where they're not afraid to obey God. So we've made a couple of claims. We believe that God is a dangerous God and we believe that he's called us on a dangerous journey. Some of you are a questioning if that's true and some of you know that it's true and it just terrifies you right now but what we're going to do over the next couple of minutes is we're going to look into scripture and see if we can base our claims um, on the word of god and we're going to start with the idea that god's presence is dangerous the idea that being in the presence of god is a dangerous thing hey babe will you read exodus 19 16 through 20 On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I don't know if I would want to go up on that mountain. <laughs> um, like, what what words bring those images to your mind that just kind of create fear? I'm, I'm kind of imagining a a movie and hearing the 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 background music with the rumbling and the flashes of lightning and this deep uh, voice of God speaking to Moses. I mean, it you reading that just was kind of a little scary. Well, and there's trumpet blasts going on, so there's all this noise, and I would imagine like the, the flashing of the lightning, the smoke coming over, you know, I mean, that would have been terrifying to the people watching that because they knew that this was God's presence before them. And there were other times in in the Old Testament that God told the people not to step on the mountain, even if an animal approached the mountain and stood on the mountain, that it would die. And so 
I think there was a reasonable fear about the presence of the Lord, that the people of God knew that if they were in his presence and they weren't in right relationship with him, then they should fear him. And not a reverence fear, but like really be afraid of of him. And even a few verses down from the ones I just read, you know, Moses is telling God that people can't come to you uh, because you've already warned us not to come or people will die. Mm. So they received the message that God is a dangerous God and they have to show up um, on God's terms and, and not their own. And I think there's a lot of application for us today is how do we show up before God? We know he's a loving, gracious, merciful God, but he's, you know, he's holy and just and even his presence, us being out of relationship with him, causes causes issues for us. So we've looked at the presence of God as dangerous. Another word we've already used is, is God's holiness. So God's holiness is dangerous. And we're going to go to a scripture where it seems like the guy was trying to do the right thing, but we find out that he wasn't doing it in the right way. Now, something important that I have recently learned, so I want to pass this along, is that all of the commands of for the Israelites to carry the ark, it was supposed to be done by the Levites. And when David asked that the ark be moved in 2 Samuel 6, he doesn't invite the Levites to do it. He invites non-Levites. And so we're going to read a little bit about a guy named Yuza, and he's going to be in trouble because the ark was holy. It was set apart as an instrument for the Lord, and he touches it. Okay, Second Samuel 6, 3 through 8. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So first, I want to apologize because there was a lot of really hard names in there. You did great. Uh, Yeah, who knows if I actually pronounced them right? I don't know. I thought it sounded awesome. So uh, that's the first thing. Thank you for doing that. I would not have been as graceful in my reading. Second, it seems like Uzzah's trying to do the right thing, but this ark was God's ark, and it was separate and holy. And when he touched it, he erred. I, li- I liked how Scripture said he he erred. He was punished for his error. I mean, we know that he was wanting to do the right thing, but we also know what God had laid out before that about how the ark was to be handled. And it wasn't handled correctly, and it was supposed to be put on poles. And in this instance, I wasn't this with the oxen? Yeah, with the cart. And that's not the way it was supposed to be done. And so there was a lot of things that weren't done correctly with how this was supposed to even be carried. Man, that's a tough one, because your king is telling you to do something. You think you're helping God out. But again, we have to show up the way God wants us to show up, not the way we interpret mm him to want us to show up. So so we've talked about the presence of God is dangerous, the holiness of God is dangerous, and something that really applies to us as we processed our, our older daughter taking this trip 
is God's mission is dangerous. We um we had the opportunity and, and and part of the reason why we wanted to talk about God as dangerous is because of the story of Jonah when he went to Nineveh. Is there anything you remember about Jonah's confrontation, uh, Jonah's expectation, his apprehension? Well, he didn't want to go to this city. They were pagan people who had brought issues on the Israelites in, in the past before before this time period. Do you want to speak to that? You've done some research on it. So I didn't realize this. And one reason I love doing the podcast is we get to learn and, and uh, engage in new information. But apparently in 701 BC, the king of Nineveh attacked the city of Jerusalem. So there's this long ongoing history between the Ninevites and the people of Israel. So it's not like Jonah had a personal issue per se. It started as a cultural like attack on their his his country on his homeland and and he was still a little upset about it <laughs> a little <laughs> a little i mean he was going to people who had attacked him at least in the past he was like really upset when god didn't go through with the punishment like he wanted them to be harmed and that's the interesting thing about the the uh, mission of god is he sends us to the people that could harm us without wanting us to want to harm them back. Hmm. Yeah, that, you know, that is sometimes tough. And I think in the situation with Jonah as well is that we see God's grace and mercy and compassion towards the people of Nineveh. And God wanted Jonah to have that same compassion towards them. And I don't think his heart was ready to to feel compassion towards the people. He was, he was still angry and bitter at their past actions. And I think this is also a good reminder of just how can we look at, at other people, other cultures with compassion and love when maybe we don't understand where they're coming from or you know or there's been maybe bad a bad situation with a relationship and how can we move forward with forgiveness another example that we want to talk about that shows the validity of of what we've been talking about is Ananias Saul next to Jesus and Peter and James and John is is one of the most prominent characters in the New Testament and he has this experience with with the Lord the Lord shows up in a vision to Ananias and says, go and find Saul of Tarshish. <laughs> Tarshish is a fun word to say, I think. Uh, can't get over that one. Why would Ananias be a little apprehensive? You know, we see, we knew that Saul persecuted and killed and went after people that followed the way. You know, he he was probably apprehensive because he knew that that was Saul's past. And now he was supposed to go to this person who was killing and harming, putting people in jail for their faith in Jesus. And the way it seems in Scripture, it's not like there's this long time of change. Like this is shortly after the life transformation of Saul turning into Paul, but Ananias isn't fully aware of that. All he knows is that God said to go to him. You know, sometimes when God tells us to do something, it kind of feels that way. It's like, well, God, can you promise me safe passage? Can you promise me health? And God goes... I'm not going to do that. I, I want you to be a part of my my mission. I want you to be a part of what I'm calling you to and be a part of the kingdom, regardless of the results of your obedience. But Ananias shows up, obeys, and 
you know, we see that God does a mighty work in Saul's life because of that. I think that's a good reminder for us today as well, is that we need to obey whatever it is God God calls us to do, whether we understand it fully or not. Because if God's calling us, then we know we are in a we are in a better situation no matter what we're going to face if we're obeying God rather than not obeying God. Kind of like the jo- going back to the Jonah story for a minute. You know, he didn't obey. What ends up happening is he gets swallowed by a fish and is in the belly of a fish for 3 days. If he had just gone to Nineveh in the first place, he wouldn't have had to experience some of some of those issues. We need to make sure we don't confuse the danger with our own stupidity. Mm. Some of the things we experience is just because we've disobeyed like Jonah did. And, and even when I think about this dangerous mission, I need to be cautious not to let who I am in my flesh and my sinful nature in and claim that I'm being persecuted because of my stupidity, of my selfishness, my disobedience, my my whatever. You know, and we're gonna talk about persecution in just a moment as well. And let's not blame God for how we're being treated when it's really us that that's like causing that result. But sometimes mistreatment comes even in our obedience. And 100%. I mean, we, and we saw that in the New Testament a lot with Peter and John and, you know, people were angry with them for their message and they weren't being stupid about it. They were just proclaiming. And, you know, I, I think also that we have to be people that obey God over what man says. 100%. Nina, for me personally, I think we've established, we can say God is dangerous. I think we can clearly say that his mission in walking as a kingdom follower can be very dangerous. Now let's let's take Jesus. And we, we know from a theological perspective, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God is one person in the Trinity, right? But I remember growing up and seeing pictures of Jesus he kind of looked like this really calm, hippie-like, maybe surfer dude with long hair. You could kind of imagine him with a, a California surfer accent. And I don't believe that that's the real representation of who Jesus was. We, we want to think of him as meek. And I think sometimes we think of him as weak. But like, is that really who Jesus is in our lives? Something that comes to mind, like the only example I remember as a child was when Jesus turned over the money tables. And I really struggled with, how's that the same Jesus? How's that possible? But but it, they're both true at the same time. Should we read it? The Mark passage? Yeah, let's read the Mark passage. See okay. if it brings up anything good for us to talk about. All right. So, it will. It will bring up something good. <laughs> well, all scripture is good and profitable. So Mark 11, verses 15 through 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. You don't try to destroy somebody who you don't think you can walk over. You don't get infuriated with somebody normally unless they're a force to be reckoned with. 
and and Jesus is showing up in a way where he was showing his danger. And I know we're using this word repetitively, but the the idea that he wasn't just going to take everything. And as we've been reading through scripture as a family and, and thinking about how Jesus interacted with other people, every time he would be with a Pharisee, like there's this, this force, this boldness, this dangerous aspect of who he was, like something to be feared. And, um, I appreciate that about how I'm learning who Jesus is as, as an adult and, and thinking through it. You know, he's not the, he's not exclusively the, the children's stories that I read about him. He's, he's deeper. He's more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another interesting imagery that, that, um, it's hard for us to kind of like work through is the idea of Jesus being both lion and the lamb. Do you remember the words of John the Baptist? Uh, this was in John one twenty nine. He sees Jesus approaching. He says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, mm-hmm. and we've talked with our kids, like why, why did John use the, the language lamb? What, what have we told our kids about that? Well, the lamb represented you know, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they had to slaughter a, a lamb so that the death angel could pass over the, the people. And, you know, they had to do it over their doorposts. But then also the slaughtered lamb was part of their sacrifice for their sins. That it, it covered up their sins. It didn't take away their sins. And so the lamb here is a very specific image because of what Jesus was about to do. And when John spoke those words about Jesus, he was saying, Jesus is going to lay down his life for all people. It's a very specific use of of, of the name. The idea of a lamb, Jesus being a lamb, it, it does remind me of the humble and suffering servant. It reminds me of, of his willingness to lay down his life, his compassion, his love, and his grace. And and I wonder at times if if the body of Christ, if we need to ask ourselves, are we just trying to worship Jesus as the lamb? Are we also willing and are we actually worshiping as him as, as Jesus as the lion? Because the lion creates different emotions, right? In in Revelation mm. five five, it talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah who prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And you know, it's kind of like, well, what's what's that about? Like, everybody was upset because no one could do this miraculous event that needed to take place. And Jesus, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, shows up and he prevailed, and he accomplished. And which hasn't happened yet. Like the first coming of Christ, he's the lamb. The second, he's going to be the lion. He's he's going to come in with force. So he's that victorious warrior. He's powerful. He has that royal aspect to him, the one who overcomes. And I think we need to, we need to not pick or choose. We can't have one or the other. We need to figure out within our lives, uh, within our families, within our theology, within our church, how do we accurately view Christ in both? Because both are true about him. I agree. I mean, I think we need to know, we need to have this picture of him being both because he is. The first time he came and walked on the earth, you know, he he was more of the of the lamb, the servant, the the one that was willing to lay down his life in obedience to the Father. We're gonna see him come as the lion in the end times. So, in the dangerous line at that. Mm. So there's a there's a pretty famous C.S. Lewis quote. 
And this is a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. I'm just going to read a little (laughs) excerpt. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, who said anything about safe. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Mm. And, and, you know, C.S. Lewis was trying to create this imagery, I think, of what we're talking about right now. But is, is the king safe? Is the lion safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. Mm. And Jesus says the lamb is good. Jesus says the lion is good, even when we don't quite understand the dangerous nature of who he is. He's still good. So we talked about God is dangerous. Jesus is dangerous. The mission is dangerous. So does that mean our calling is dangerous? And uh, when I think about the Great Commission to the ends of the earth, that means places like Nineveh, Mm -hmm. like to people who are culturally in Um, from a religious standpoint, and all aspects of life are just completely different than us. And you know what? I I think about Nineveh in the past, but there are like present-day Ninevehs. There's places that you and I can think of that we would go, I don't know if I want to go there because they won't like me because I don't believe the way they do. And and you know what? Honestly, you know, to the ends of the earth, it's not as far away as it used to be, Mm -hmm. right? Even, Even within our home and Within our home country, there's there's people that are just not like us anymore. People in opposition to the gospel and God's kingdom. But, but it also reminds me that dangerous calling to the ends of the earth. But when Jesus spoke of the Beatitudes, you were talking about it earlier, about the persecution. Hmm. You know, what are some of these things we need to be thinking about when it comes to persecution? When it comes to persecution, there's a lot of scripture that actually says that when you are persecuted or you will be persecuted. And so... I don't think that as believers, especially in the West, that God has said we will be persecuted. So in Matthew 5.10, it talks about those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so it doesn't say if you are persecuted, we will be persecuted. And and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Yeah. In verse 11, it also talks about how the reviled, persecuted, will be spoken about in an evil manner, spoken about falsely. So we know that other people are going to be oppose us and say things about us that may not even be true, but from their perspective, they don't like what the message we have to, to say mm. um, about Jesus. And then Jesus even told the, the disciples in Matthew 10, 16, that he was sending Sending us out as sheep before wolves, that doesn't sound very safe to me. Um, that sounds like a, um, a dangerous place to be. But the thing that I take comfort in is, you know, he, and we brought it up, but, you know, not only is he good, but he's with us when, when we are going through these, into these areas, or if our life brings persecution, he's with us. We're not doing it alone. And he says he would always be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that gives me peace and hope. That gives me peace and hope for myself. But Nina, like something that, that was really challenging at times overseas is really challenging now as a, as a father, especially. Am I ready to invite other people on the dangerous journey? Am I ready to invite other people into the kingdom of God, knowing that 
when they live out their lives in obedience to Jesus Christ, they will face this persecution. They will face the reviling. And, you know, I think about us. We've we've both worked through this enough where I will lead you because you want Jesus to lead you as well. Like we, we're going to walk into some challenging situations, but like, let's apply that to our four-year-old. It's like preparing for battle before he even knows there's a battle and preparing him for a dangerous journey even before he knows there's a journey. And, and that's really challenging because we're, we're trying to take steps of obedience now, preparing for something that that's hard to prepare for and that we don't know when it will occur. You have a story about a situation where you did take a friend into a dangerous situation. Do you want to share that? Yeah, this is this is one of my um, one of my favorite stories about overseas life, and I had the wonderful opportunity to be blessed with a brother in Christ who was so different than I was, but we were connected because of the work of Jesus in our lives, and we wanted to go and and share uh, the good news. And so um, we lived in a city with beautiful beaches, and one day we were out uh, talking, and we happened to, to come across an older gentleman, and we started talking and. Normal conversation moved into a religious conversation, and religious conversation turned into talking about Jesus. And I really remember the following details. All of a sudden, uh, this older gentleman pulled out a badge of some kind and started talking about how he was in the military and how he'd served his country and how it's wrong to share anything that wasn't a part of his faith, which was the majority religion and started threatening us you know you could go to jail for that i could call the police and i could uh have you arrested and put you in prison and and my friend and i in the moment we were still courteous and still bold and we said you know what these are important things to us that we think everybody should process and work through and have an opportunity to respond to and you know what it sounds like you're not wanting to have those conversations and so we kind of back away from the gentleman, and as we're debriefing, my friend looked at me and said, I was like, my biggest fear is that they would put you in prison. And I looked at him and I said, my biggest fear was that they would put you in prison. And and honestly, in our situation, probably the biggest thing that would have happened to me and our families would have been kicked out of the country. But my friend could have been put in prison and could have faced the consequences of us obeying. And I've just, it's been heavy on my heart ever since that when you walk a, a believer, another disciple, another follower of Jesus into obedience into Jesus Christ, it's very possible that you're walking them into a dangerous situation. That's true for our kiddos too. Walking them towards Jesus means walking them into potential situations like that. And my question is, if we don't feel like we're walking them into dangerous situations, like, are we really walking the right path? <laughs> because mm. Jesus says there will be these dangerous, dangerous situations we'll be facing. Nathan, tomorrow we are celebrating Father's Day. And this podcast is actually going to go out the day after Father's Day. And so this is kind of just a, this question is is for all the fathers out there um, but I'm, I'm specifically asking you to address this. What happens when Christian men only act like lambs and never like lions? So I do think it's important for fathers, but, but husbands and, and any 
young man or man that that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have a great example of how Christ acted like a lamb who was willing to sacrifice, who was willing to give his life. And all of those characteristics, I think the world says as like the the right kind of man. We also live in in an environment, in a in an age where if you're too manly, it's toxic. But I think what God calls of us as men is to be strong leaders, um, leaders who are willing to to do the hard things and not always be passive in our leadership. It's okay to be a servant leader, but like as Jesus showed us, he was willing to do the hard things. He was willing to face the opposition. He was willing to challenge those who thought they were in control but shouldn't have been in control. He was willing to fight injustice. And if we're only nice guys, and again, that's kind of the air quote thing, only the nice guy, I think we leave so much off the table that the world needs from us as Christian followers of Jesus. So so first off, I think of how does it impact our families? If we're only the lamb, always passive and never active and aggressive in the right way, then our sons don't know how to be active and aggressive in the right way. And there are times when we have to be more aggressive than what we are. And again, all of this is this is in the context and the leading of the Holy Spirit, not in the context and the leading of Nathan right now. For our marriages, our, our wives want us to be tender, but they need us to be tough at times. And if we are never a lion, then we don't provide that other side that they need us to be. You know, um, I guess in the movies, you always think about the nice guy never gets the girl, but the bad boy never keeps the girl. And like as Christian men, we have both the good side of that. We also have that aggressive nature. Um, the part of us that wants us to protect our family, the part of us that wants to strive to provide above and beyond. And so I think there's that benefit of being a godly man who acts as a lion sometimes. And in context of the rest of the world, we live in a world that is lost and dying without Jesus Christ. And we need to be lions and stand up for truth speak boldly the name of Jesus Christ is good news we love them like lambs but we show up with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is in our corner we can do all things through him and that he has a big mission for us a dangerous mission and we have to show up as as lions sometimes and i think as the wife and the ladies that are listening to this i think honestly i don't want you just to be a lamb all the time i you know i want to see you take that leadership role and take those dangerous steps towards Christ. Uh, that's something that, it, it, you know, I like seeing that. In- and that's important. It's in Christ, towards Christ, through Christ. It's not being a, a lion in and of myself with my fleshly nature. It's mm. finding it in the context of who I am in Jesus. Yeah. And I want to be that for you. And I know other men want to be that for their their families, for their wives, for their girlfriends for their whoever's their mothers you know um, but we need to we need to surrender this as men as believers just in general to surrender these aspects of our life before the lord and say do your will father god jesus work in my life holy spirit guide me every day we need your help we have to surrender those those sides of our life to to jesus we all need to do that we all need to surrender our will and lean into what Jesus is asking of us. For the moms and dads that are listening, for the the young families that are listening, I think this is something we really need to struggle through now so that we're ready for later. 
because I, I've learned in life, if Nina and I, if we haven't discussed something and then we're taken off guard later, we don't feel well prepared. There will be dangerous things in our lives. The Lord Jesus will be pushing us towards dangerous things often in our lives. And if we are not in a place to understand why he's doing it, the characteristics of who he is as he's doing it, and how our response should be, it's very likely that we will not take steps of obedience towards him. And as hard as it has been for for my oldest to be gone for a whole week, and she's coming back tonight, yes, and we're excited, <laughs> and we're going to celebrate the stories, but we also acknowledge that we had to let her go into the Father's hands because our hands weren't big enough and weren't strong enough and weren't long enough to keep her safe. And that's not our, our job for the rest of our life. It's it's us surrendering to God to, to know that He has the right things in mind for her, for us, for the other kiddos in our lives, and um, that we have to let go even when it's dangerous. Thank you all for listening to the Encourage Inspire podcast today as we have talked about surrendering ourselves to a dangerous God. And I hope this has been an encouragement to you as you've listened. We also want to ask if you would please leave a comment or a review about our podcast. We'd really appreciate that. We hope you have a great day.